Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. The 10 year Treasury yield has crossed 5%, that crucial mark, and it's the first time it's happened since 2007. So, what does this mean for equities? Is the relentless climb in Treasury yields mean that it has further room to run after surging past 5%? Well, we're going to find out with Cheng Chai Sen, head of investment at Provident. Good morning, Chai Sen. Morning, Michelle. So we know that volatility has gripped Wall Street. Traders are keeping a close eye on potential escalation of the Middle East conflict and worries of contagion as well. While all the, at the same time weighing uh, Jay Powell's remarks for clues on policy outlook, what is your read of the current sentiment in today's market? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are a few things that might derail what has so far been a pretty positive year for stocks in 2023. Um, I think we have three things that are uh, really worrying the market or really uh, on the minds of investors right now. And uh, yes, one of them is something that's been with us for a very long time. Well, feels like a long time, but only since 2022, (laughs) but uh, inflation, I mean, it's still around. Uh, It's still on the headlines. It's still a factor that is keeping uh, investors up and concerned because, of course, um, it, central banks have set out to, to defeat this inflation that we are seeing. And therefore, you know, if inflation continues to remain something that is, takes a hold of uh, economies, you know, we're going to see more rate hikes potentially. And that's something, that's one of the things that investors are concerned about. I think um, a second thing that investors are very concerned about, mm-hmm. something that um, you just mentioned, the rise in longer term yields, I mean, with the 10-year yield crossing 5%, uh, that's definitely something that investors are looking at because, uh, well, 10-year yields are a key component of many people's models for risk-free rates. Mm-hmm. And so if that changes... Uh, your, the pricing of assets will change and uh, it's also causing tighter credit conditions. So that's something else that investors are looking at. And of course, uh, last but not, not least, uh, the wars uh, that are happening right now in Europe and the Middle East, these are potentially threatening to become even larger conflicts and these, that can have an adverse impact on businesses and economies across the world. So that is also something that investors are closely watching. All right. What do you think are some of the, and do you think these are the key challenges that markets are going to keep their eyes on as we head to the last couple of months of 2023 or are there more? Um, I think these are the three main things. I think, uh, for example, if you you know want to focus a bit on the impact of uh, what the Middle East war might mean for the economies, uh, for example, we see that oil prices have been reacting to the Israel-Hamas war. Uh, and then, of course, higher oil prices will mean that inflationary pressures might not ease as easily, forcing the Fed to maybe hike interest rates again once more, and that can potentially cause markets to reprice risk to the downside. Uh, I mean, also uh, challenges like, because the region is a huge producer of natural gas, and now uh, it's going to be a bit problematic if access to that natural gas is going to be, become more costly, because both the US and particularly Europe, uh, they have pivoted away from Russian gas. And so that means that, you know, the cost to stay warm in the winter, especially since winter is coming for Europe, this might go up 
and it will have inflationary pressure on energy prices and could impact consumption because if households are forced to spend more on utilities bills uh, for winter heating, uh, they might forego other kinds of consumption and that would also have an impact on economies and businesses. Great to have an overview of the rising price of crude and how that could impact the whole equation. Let's take a look at equity fund flows, which registered huge withdrawals weekending 18, so just last week, are hit by that surge in bond deals as well as escalating geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. If we just focus on bond deals and movements in that market, what are some of the possible reasons for the rise in the long-term interest rates for government bonds as you see it? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of question, uh, a lot of discussion on this, and it's definitely one of the key things I think uh, right now that's been moving the markets. Because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of models do use the ten-year yield as a risk-free rate. So if that ten-year yield starts moving up by about 100 basis points, mm-hmm. it's going to be something that everybody is going to be paying attention to and going to be questioning, you know, uh, where asset prices right now. So I think right now there are a couple of reasons for long-term bond yields to go up, a couple of scenarios rather, and, you know, that are playing out in the market. And I think no one is really sure which one it is exactly, but I'll just list them out and just give the listeners some clarity on it. Mm -hmm. So the first one is that uh, markets are reacting to the Fed's message of higher for longer. So, you know, if the Fed is not going to cut rates at the short end, and then for the market to be sustainable, the long end of the yield curve has to start going up. So investors will start, you know, sort of selling the longer dated bonds because the short-term bonds are going to uh, have a higher yield right now and they're going to buy the short-term bonds once mm. there's sort of a new equilibrium is found as, as because the short-term bond yields are far more attractive than the long-term bond yields. Although right now the long-term bond yields have, start, have almost caught up already. So that's one of the scenarios that the market is sort of considering. I think the next one is that the market is starting to price in a soft landing. Uh, yield curves uh, invert because investors feel that a recession might be coming and therefore buy longer term bonds in anticipation that the Fed will cut rates at the short end. But, you know, if a soft landing happens or if the recession doesn't happen, then no rate cuts are needed. And therefore, the yield curve uh, sort of has to uninvert itself with the long end rising and the short end staying stable. So that's ex- actually what we are seeing right now because, you know, typically in the last well, 20, 30 years, when the yield curve uninverts, you know, it's always the short end falling when the Fed cuts rates. But, you know, in this case, if there's no recession and if the Fed wants to hold rates high at the short end, then, you know, something else has to give. So the long end has to start moving up. I think lastly, there's a lot of concern right now around the increased supply of treasury bonds Mm -hmm. because the U.S. budget deficit has grown and is continuing to grow. And there doesn't seem to be a focus by the U.S. government to reduce it. So the Treasury has forecast that they're going to increase the supply of treasuries needed to fund the government. So if supply is expected to increase and demand remains the same, then you know in that case, you would have to expect that the price of the Treasury, the bond to come down so that more buyers will be attracted to purchase it. So in this case, uh, prices go down when yields go up. So that's sort of another thing that we are seeing that's happening right now. So, you know, um, right now, these are the three main reasons everyone is uh, thinking of about uh, or considering why, you know, long-term yields are going up. But it's really hard to say uh, which one is correct until, you know, after it happens. But uh, these are definitely some of the main theories that we are seeing right now about uh, why the longer-term rates are going up. 
So one of the theories is that uh, higher bond yields are an indirect signal of rising inflation and also an anticipation of potential economic slowdown, which could make the cost of borrowing money uh, rise. What do you think the rise in long-term interest rates tells us about the outlook for the U.S. economy? That's a great question. I think one of the theories is that it actually is a good news, good signal for the U.S. economy because uh, you know, the Fed might actually pull off the soft landing and they don't have to cut rates because the economy can carry on uh, even with this higher neutral rate of interest. So if you look at a recent survey by uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, less than 50% of economists now think that the US will have a recession within the next year because um, as inflation moderates and consumers have continued to spend, we're seeing that despite the higher rates and despite you know higher yields, uh, the consumer has not yet been adversely impacted. Uh, you look at the recent retail sales report uh, by the Commerce Department, retail sales rose 0.7% in September, and that was more than twice what economists had expected, close to a revised uh, 0.8% bump in August. And it also reflects the six consecutive monthly gain, reinforcing the fact that you know American consumers as a whole are showing no signs of pulling back on their spending, which powers a large part of the economy. Like, I mean, for example, spending at restaurants had uh, a 0.9% increase and spending online rose 1.1% in the last month. So I think we can see so far the economy seems okay. And I think one of the scenarios that's playing out is that, hey, maybe, you know, the projections of a recession are wrong and that right now the interest rates are well, not yet high enough that they will slow the economy down that drastically. So it's possible that, you know, the economy can take a higher neutral rate of interest and keep going. And so that's sort of providing the optimism and that could be one of the reasons why um, in interest rates are moving up at the long end. Can I ask you about the link between or the relationship between long-term treasuries and gold prices? Sure. Because gold prices have rallied sharply since the Hamas-Israel conflict broke out. And some say that shows the divergence in its long-term relationship with the U.S. treasuries. We're seeing investors flee to the safe haven asset. We've seen prices of gold surge as much as 10%. Um, and that hit a five-month high after we saw a tax uh, launch about a fortnight ago. So has gold's rise put a further stress on its typical correlation with real yields. What, I suppose, does the rise in treasury yields mean for, for gold prices? Yeah, well, typically a rise in treasury yields would likely mean that gold prices won't do so well because you're starting to get a real return sort of on your fixed income, a much better return. So the cost of holding gold, because gold doesn't actually give you a yield, uh, has become higher, the opportunity cost. So likely you would see that gold prices not do so well if uh, interest rates are high, which is sort of what we had started leading into, of course, this most recent surge. And I think uh, that increase in gold prices is sort of, yes, not really correlated to any kind of financial metric, but because gold is always viewed as a, a store of value in times of extreme sort of stress in the world uh, or times when, you know, there might be chaos in the world and, and all the systems don't function. And then you would want, you possibly can view that gold can become a store of wealth. Uh, but of course, having said that, if that were to happen, you know, physical gold would really be the right trade to do because, you know, that that's uh, 
you would want to be able to have access to it uh, because you know if uh, systems break down then you know even if you have, if you own gold in terms of a financial exposure like a, a future or an ETF that's mm-hmm. not really going to be very useful but you know you would have to make sure you buy the gold bars and lock them up somewhere in a safe and, and have access to them if that's really the kind of uh, hitch an investor wants to take. Okay, no cold wallet there. Uh, let's talk a little bit. We talked about the potential outlook for the U.S. economy. Let's bring it home. So MAS has uh, a week ago decided to keep the Sing dollar policy unchanged, uh, signifying that it expects the global economic outlook to remain uncertain. Talk to us about what you read from MAS's latest policy meeting and what that could mean for the Singapore dollar and Singapore's inflation outlook. Yeah. So MAS expecting Singapore's GDP growth in 2023 to come in at the lower half of the, you know, 05 to 1.5% forecast range. So for 2024, growth is projected to come in a bit closer to its potential rate and the output gaps going to be slightly negative. So they are seeing that core inflation has eased 3.4% year on year in August. And that's much lower than the peak of 5.5% that we saw earlier in January. And uh, they are seeing that inflation has slowed across a broad range of goods and services, including um, non-cooked food, food services, travel and point-to-point transport. So all of this is showing that you know inflation in Singapore has started to moderate. Uh, core inflation is now projected to go down even further to between 25 to 3% year-on-year by December. So for 2023, MAS is feeling and projecting that inflation will come in at around 4%. And that's going to be unchanged from last year. So, But they say that excluding the impact of GST increase in January this year, it would actually be lower because the 2023 prices have also been impacted by uh, the GST hike. So their view that in 2024, uh, core inflation will continue to moderate. So you know, even though prices of energy like crude oil has risen, but most of other things like food, final goods, etc., are all looking like they're moderating and supply conditions are improving there. So they're also seeing that the labor market in Singapore has been cooling gradually. And so they expect that labor costs also won't go up so high. So they feel that core inflation will come down below 4% next year in a range of 25 to 3.5%. So, and they say that if in fact, they exclude the impact of the next GST hike in January. Core inflation will be even lower at 15 to 2.5%. So, so right now, uh, in the backdrop of all this, they feel that uh, the current policy ban for the Singapore dollar is sufficient and they are not going to adjust it. They're going to continue this uh, sustained appreciation to dampen the inflation, but they're not going to adjust the slope of the ban or the width of the ban or anything like that. So, you know, they're maintaining the status quo for Sing dollar policy right now. So the 5-4 inflation here in Singapore is far from over. Chaisen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michelle. Cheng Chaisen is Head of Investment at Provident, joining us right here on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.